Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us. This is episode two of our guest series, What Does Community Mean to You? It's a series about community, made at a time when community has never felt quite so important as it does now. If we were ever in any doubt about the need for mutual support and solidarity, then this year has shown just how vital these things are. This is a series celebrating love for our neighbours and care for those who need it. This episode is called Without Community, My Soul is Dead. In this episode, you'll hear from Claire, also known as Maima Mero, a songwriter and community musician. Mehdi, the participation manager at Glasgow Night Shelter. Kira, a four-year-old. And Nerissa, a Glasgow emigrant living in the Czech Republic. If you'd like to find out more about anyone in this episode, you can find links in the show notes. So my name is Claire McBrien and I am a community musician in Glasgow. Invisible Lines is a song I wrote when I was pretty angry um, at how people I really love and care about are treated when they come to the UK and to Glasgow. Um, I've had a number of experiences where I've been in airports or train stations or places where people travel and the difference between how I am treated and my friend or and my partner is treated is pretty gross and I was really angry about it and I suppose Invisible Lines is me trying to navigate that very awkward feeling of that's part of my heritage, the the way we've put boundaries down and sort of trying to mock the idea of boundaries and maps like it does blow my mind, I do, even before I met these people that you know are such a huge part of my life now I really didn't understand borders really ever because they're just made up right they're just not actually real because we live on pieces of dirt and and as humans we've put lines in the sand and I don't know how many borders actually have physical things I think a lot of them are marked on a piece of paper that we then say is a map and it makes me so angry that that piece of paper wields so much power and has huge detrimental effects to human beings' lives. Some pieces of paper pretend that they can control nature and we've carved up the skies with invisible 
And it's this really interesting thing because at the same time I do really believe that we all need to feel a sense of home and I think geography does play into that and and you know the types of weathers you're experiencing and whether you're near a mountain or a sea or a river or whatever like I do think that plays into our sense of who we are and our sense of well-being so I understand the human desire to root in and, and to protect it and keep the people you love safe. But I don't think that's where we're at anymore. You know, I don't think that's what's really happening. I think it's just, it's colonialism, isn't it? And it's like oppression and it's stealing things from other places and putting them in museums. And it's, that's what's happening really. Um, so how do we get back to a sense where everyone can feel home and feel part of a community and feel s protected in some way without stopping other people from also having that. I was born in Northern Ireland, which has its, you know, no wonder I'm confused about borders. It has its whole set of what is home questions, being in a place where, yeah, cultural identity was dangerous. Um, home was very specific, I suppose, for me as a child growing up. It was my house with my mom and my sister and my granny was there quite a lot. That was my home. Um, now I've lived in Glasgow like a very long time, I'd say 12, 13 years. Um, and this also is my home. Um, but I feel equally at home and equally strange in both places. There's always something in both places that people use to make me understand that I'm not from here. Or, f And when I go home, there's things that people would say of, oh, you've changed, so you're not really completely from here anymore. Um, so it is a question I think about quite a lot, and there is quite big parts of me that want to find a home of some sort. On my cheek, a network of glitches. Of state-stipulated manipulation sending us into kitchen-shaped convention prisons, thieving us from the wind and the fire and the soil to know the difference between dessert and substance and i think i think home is when you can be completely at ease and self-aware like completely know yourself and i think once you completely are like in a good relationship with yourself that's your home like in your body because we all have really problematic relationships with our physical being physically here on the earth don't we like not well i do in terms of you know being in your body and 
feeling your emotions and not going into a dream world, which I often go into, is actually quite hard work and it's quite difficult and we're not encouraged to do it. And take rest as the hovering kite. My fingerprints map the ancient sands, tree roots my ancestors anchored in rich, fertile land. So no masked gunmen painted on stone, ratty flags or broken ankle bones, checkpoints, curfews, bombs can atone for the moans of my kin. So for me, home, what I'm searching for at the moment for a sense of home is a sense of comfort in my own body and in my own skin, an ability to be here and feel all the things that I feel. And then after that, I think, I think I'm going to have to come to terms with parts of my home are here and parts of my home are in Northern Ireland. Observe my freckles dance and tell stories on my skin. My name is Madi Saki, and you can call me Mehdi. I am the participation manager at a Glasgow Night Shelter for Destitute Asylum Seekers. Uh, and we are based in Glasgow. And uh, uh, we, uh, well, myself, uh, I am a refugee. I um, uh, born and raised in Iran and I came to UK in December 2008 and from 2008 till 2000 sorry to uh, November 2012 uh, I, I was uh, asylum seeker so pro means that process for me took about, about four years Uh, during that time when I was asylum seeker, I couldn't work. I um, basically wasn't citizen. I didn't have any right similar to sit other citizens. Um, I was forbidden to work. Mainly I work with our guests. Uh, we have about 17 guests, uh, all, all asylum seekers, uh, uh, who their case has been refused and they have no access to public fund. They have no other option uh, for housing or accommodations. Um, some of our, our guests are new in Scotland, although they've been in UK for a while, but they might 
um, not known or they don't know about the services in Glasgow. So I am working with them and uh, they uh, should receive, uh, um, what do you call, uh, relevant support. Uh, and this is very important for the, the new arrival in Scotland or the people who are marginalized and they have no other, other, other support. To my experience, I think uh, without community, this is how I can say, uh, I put it in this way, like if I don't have engagement with communities or if the communities not exist, my soul is dead. I have no sense. I am isolated. I am depressed. I am uh, uh, down, you know, um, with community, things changing. You know, anyway, the life is difficult when you are an asylum seeker, even when you become a refugee. Still, there are so many barriers here, um, but to me, uh, it's such an important to uh, link with communities, engage with communities, or even if you have that potential to establish a community. I think such an important. Loneliness is a big problem with um, uh, asylum seekers. Myself, in, in the first few months, I was really stuck at home and I was hoping, oh right, I had an interview in two weeks time uh, when I came here and I thought, okay, I will wait, wait, wait. I will get my good news and, and that's it. And I will go and, and, and actually that didn't happen. Didn't happen. Uh, my uh, interview basically was refused and uh, I was stuck. For days and days I was at home really, you know, uh, just hoping, oh, I will do appeal with the tribunal. And you know, when you are in this process, you're just hoping and hoping, oh, something will change. But you know, and, and, and you say to yourself and myself, to, 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 I said to myself, right, okay, I will wait when I get my residency, then I will engage with communities. But actually that's wrong, you know? That's wrong because that might take so long, which has happened in my case, like four years and other people five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20, not 20 years, years. So we should not wait to see if uh, I will gain my status, uh, refugee status, and then engage with communities. And, and, and this is not easy, you know, this is not easy because when you, ha you don't have uh, status, you have less, less opportunities and chance to engage with communities. And you need to find different ways to engage with communities. And, uh, and, and when I say communities, colleges, free classes, ESOL classes, voluntary work, and finding friends and going to different 
even things, you know, to me, the community is this, is not just one building in your local place called like community center. No, to me, um, uh, is, 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 is wider, wider than a building. Um, and uh, and uh, to me, it was so important at the time when I stopped at home and I, I realized, no, I should engage with different people, uh, local church or community center, football, go to museum to do voluntary work, this, that, you know, a lot. If I want to tell you, it takes so long. It would take so long. Too many episodes you need to make. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah. But you need to have that determination and that uh, strong feeling from your inside uh, to, to uh, fight back. Um, I think it's very tough time, it's very tricky, there are lo lots of things, um, uh, yeah, the difficulties and the good thing, I better say the good things first, the good thing is how other communities, partners, they supported our charity is amazing, uh, I thank to them, uh, they've been very supportive during this time. And um, in terms of uh, the difficulties by like, we should take care of ourselves, like our guests, they should have masks, they should have sanitized their hands, um, you know, uh, social distancing. Um, the, the other difficulties is so many services out here, um, they are closed down and our people can't engage they can go there, um, it's so hard. And if you think about like our people to compare with, I know it, this is a very tough time for everyone in this country, uh, any, anyone, anybody, but for our people who don't have job, don't have work permission, imagine you don't have work permission, you can't do any work, you don't have computer, you don't have laptop, you don't have tablet, uh, it's so hard. Your family is not around. Um, some other people might, uh, you know, other citizens, they have work permission they, and they can work at home at least, right? But our people, for, for our people, is so hard, so tough. Um, and and uh, no money to travel anywhere. Um, even within the in in Glasgow, they can't get bus. So uh, th these are uh, the difficulties, you know. And isolation is big part of this, you know, uh, pandemic for our people. And that's why how important is a community you or being engaged within the community uh, to what do you call it, uh, defeat this uh, um, stress and anxiety and loneliness and isolation um, and I think 
we have to work on this and we are working on this we have to develop what we do here and I think there are so many good people out here they help us I'm four years old. So, Kira, can you tell me about the nursery that you go to? Good, it's good. I play on the climbing theme and I go outside and I find today I found some ice. Who's your best friend at the nursery? Maya. Maya, what's Maya like? Sometimes she's a bit. <laughs> Is she a bit silly sometimes? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Do you have any other best friends? I used to have one that's now at primary one. Oh, really? Who was she that? She used to be my... Ava. She's still my best friend too. Oh, do you ever get to see her? At school. When oh. she's at school, I see her when she's out playing. And my cousin Emily. Is she at school as well? Yeah. Oh, and do you get to speak to them when they're out playing? Yeah. Ah, are you looking forward to going to primary one? Yeah. Do you go to primary one? Do you know where I will be when she, I'm at primary seven? Where? She'll be at... High school. Oh, wow. Can you imagine being at high school? Yeah. You're going to be so big. <laughs> yeah. Really. <laughs> I'm this big. Do you think it'll be scary to go to high school? No. No? But when I went, first went to nursery, I was scared. Were you? What was it like? At Remember. first I was scared, and then the rest of the day, life at nursery had fun. Kida, do you know how we can't see your daddy very much at the moment? Uh-huh. Why is that? Because of corona. And does daddy live in a place where there's lots of coronavirus? Yes, yeah. Glasgow. Mm, do you miss your daddy? Yes. And I bet he misses you. Yeah. And he has a beard. Has he got a beard? Is that new and since you last best. saw him? <laughs> Does he look different with his beard and moustache? Do you? What do you do to cheer up your daddy when he misses you? Um. Did you call him out stories? Oh, do you do story time together? Yeah. What story? And he reads a bit of the truth. Oh, so he reads a bit of the story to you? Yeah, the truth. Kira, what would you say to all the other daddies that miss their little girls and are sad like your daddy? Um. To cheer them up. To, like, get someday get an orphan from an orphan. From an orphanage. 
But I think your daddy would probably still miss you even if he had an orphan. Yeah. <laughs> How do you do that? Something to remind him that I still live in both houses. Do you know what community means? Um, taking care of people. So do you think community is important then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why is it important? Um, because it makes people who are airline sick good, good to uncheck what's in the blood and take blood to get, take the blood taken. Get the blood taken. Do you mean nurses and doctors? Yeah. Or do you mean vampires? No. Silly Billy. I guess it begins uh, 20 years before I was born. Uh, my mum grew up in San Francisco, uh, a really cool time period in like the 90s. She was born in 58, so she'll kill me for saying that. She was born in 58 in the sort of uh, summer of love generation, grew up in San Francisco until like 70, 76, where she moved to Paris and got the European bug and she just decided. She came home to San Francisco, told her parents, right by left again and um this time did not go to europe skipped it entirely and moved to palestine um so then my dad was born in scotland um deeply scottish family uh mother absolutely detested the idea of even going on holiday to turkey it's just too far and after spending some time in the fintorn foundation up north um, he really decided to take permaculture and go also to Palestine. Um, there they met and then enter me. Um, and after a uh, sweet but short marriage, uh, my dad left and moved to Brussels. My mom and I then stayed in Palestine for, now I think it was seven years. My mum says it was four and a half to five years, but I have memories of being seven in Palestine, so I'm going to believe that I'm correct, but I'm not sure. Um, whereupon we both moved to Scotland to be closer to my dad's family, um, especially to my, my papa, who uh, basically stepped in and became a, a very significant father figure um, for me. And my dad lived in Brussels throughout this time, so I travelled between... Uh, Scotland was my home, Glasgow was my, my home. Um, and then during summers, I would visit Brussels for a couple of weeks. We would also go back to Palestine and to our family in California. Um, and within Glasgow itself, um, just due to varying shifting situations, um, we ended up moving, I think about, I think there was about nine different houses by the time I'd left for university. Um, and like five different schools 
So even within Glasgow, I never really lived in one place for very long. I kind of was jolted about from east to west to north to Oh, never did the south side, actually. Yeah. We're, very, we're very north of the river people. Um, and then in 2017, I had really run aground, had absolutely no sort of hope left, to, to put it politely. And I decided to do um, this, enroll in a teacher training course that my mum, you know, really wanted me to, to do. And it was in Prague. So I came here with really the idea that I would come for four weeks to trial it, to see what it was like to live here. And after a week two, I phoned my mum and was like, so I'll be staying here. I think uh, for me and my mum, we're very lucky in that this online era is not new for us. You know, like speaking to family over the phone is not new and Skype calls or Zoom calls is not new. Um, and, you know, and I, I think I really struggled uh, growing up because I looked around at all my friends and they had very set community they had like you know neighbors that they called aunties and uncles and I couldn't see that in my life but what I learned from my mum was community is just worldwide and you know I'll remember like literally every single week she would be on the phone for like four or five hours like an evening or two a week with her best friend in Australia or friends in Palestine or her family in in California and as I was growing up, I became very comfortable with the knowledge that you do not have to be beside your best people for them still to be important and for you still to value them and to be valued. I didn't realise she had planted that seed until I became older and I realised I was much less reliant on staying in one place than... Uh, some other people in my life um, especially it has to be said like you know some people that you meet that do live in the same place and they're that's their home and they don't really see any benefit in leaving and I used to envy that because I would think like how nice to feel that you have no reason to go out into the world because everything you need is there for me I think I was just brought up with a very international perspective that you know, you can live anywhere in the world and if somebody is important to you, they'll stay in your life. And that's something that I really saw from my mum growing up and I still, to this day, see um, whenever I phone her. You know, it's it's something that long-distance phone calls are something she's been doing her entire life. So I think she's really equipped me to, to be an international, uh, international-like uh, friend. <laughs> we all have those days where like you literally just want to get a bottle of wine and go to your best friend and cry and physically not being able to do that and also not being able to do that for somebody else can distance you from people it can make you feel quite useless in a way you know if you if you ever had a phone call with somebody that's like crying on the other end like you just feel totally redundant because there's nothing you can do um which I think that's extremely hard and that's something that 
definitely makes it a bit more challenging. I do definitely think I'm so lucky that I have the mother I have. Like, um, she is, for me, the physical distance is easier um, to cope with because I have a mum who's well-versed at loving people from far away. Um, and that's, that's a, I'm so grateful and so lucky to have that, you know. Um, for example, like on Saturday, um, we had, I like, she was having her morning coffee. I didn't have any coffee. So we had like a three-hour conversation while I went wandering around the city to find coffee. And, you know, how many people can sit down and have a three-hour conversation with their mum? Okay, it's not face-to-face. But the fact that, like, for however many years she's lived abroad, um, she's kind of been practising for this, you know? So for her, she's like, it's okay. We can be physically distant, but we know that we're both... Like, every time either of us are having, like, a bad day, we're like, but we're safe. We both have a job. We both have apartments. We both have people in our lives that are close by in an emergency. Like, I think she constantly reminds me to be so grateful. And so the physical distance isn't so overwhelming. I think one thing that I really miss about community and I actually sort of plagues my mind a little bit to move home or to move back to Glasgow, certainly, is involvement in politics. I think as as somebody that grew up in Palestine, uh, I was, well, was born there certainly and grew up with it influencing my, mine and my family's story. I feel very strange not being politically active. And at the moment, I can't be. For one, I live in a country where I don't really speak the language properly yet and certainly not enough to have any political opinions also it's not my political history and it's not my political understanding so to come in and start you know politically advocating for for a country that I don't really know properly um back in the UK you know um I used to um I founded and I I used to uh, be part of a group called Sterling Hospitality Community and it's something that's still so dear to my heart. And it was for hospitality staff. And our aim was really to educate people, to educate hospitality workers that they have rights. That was probably a time in my life when I felt the most physical community with people because we were all in the same situation and we all worked in the same industry. And it gave me a lot of hope and a lot of purpose to be able to find out you know how people were struggling and to find solutions for that but moving abroad you lose political purpose and for me that's a large part of who I am as a person so that's definitely been something that I sort of every day really think about um I've come to like a a sort of personal realization that physical community is something that's important to me and being politically active is something that's important to me and being in a space where um, I don't have that involvement um, has definitely has occurred to me it's a priority of mine.
This episode was made by Ken, who makes the podcast Refugee Voices Scotland. And Sadie, who makes the podcast Accentricity. There are links to both podcasts in the show notes, along with links to more information about our interviewees. Thank you to Claire, Mehdi, Kira, and her mum Joanna, and Narissa. Thanks also to Bella. You can find more information about the UNESCO Chair for Refugee Integration Through Languages and the Arts in the show notes. In episode three, it's a place where you can feel safe. You'll hear from a poet, two theatre makers, a community development worker and members of the Ensemble Songwriting Project. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration Through Languages and Arts, a podcast series to make you think. More information about work can be found on the website of the University of Glasgow, www.gla.ac.uk. Thank you very much.